continuing the series of apologetics. Today we are looking at the basic reliability of sense perception. As you remember last week, we looked at the law of causality and the necessity of the law of contradiction as well in and through that. And we're going to see today that the basic reliability of sense perception uh, also um, includes uh, the law of causality. So I'm sure you've heard uh, the, the philosophical quandary, you know, if uh, a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it, does it make a sound? That's a little bit, I mean, we'll get into that much later, whether it, you know, it necessitates being experienced for the effect to be in effect, but that's later down the road. There's a more modern uh, depiction of that, which I think is kind of funny. We're going to have fun today. So uh, it's actually, uh, if a man says something, if a man is in the woods and he says something and there's no woman around to hear him, is he still wrong? I just think that's funny. See, we're going to have a little fun. All right, so David Hume, remember last week we looked uh, briefly um, at him, and uh, I had said something to the effect of, you know, basically many people think he demolished the law of causality, and I wanted to uh, take some time to show that's not at all what happened. Uh, so David Hume came up with what's, what he called customary relationships or relationships of contiguity or contiguous relationships. Now, I know this sounds fancy. It's not fancy at all. Uh, so think of a house, right? We have a house and we have a property line. And then we, our next door neighbor has a house and their property line abuts to ours. So it's right next to it. It's just one thing next to another. And so what he was saying in, in causality, we see one thing follows another and therefore we think we just assume that the thing that came before caused the other thing. And what we're going to show is that's not necessarily so, okay? Uh, what, what he was doing, so let's think of, um, so again, we assume that, let's think of an example like rain, rain and wet grass. So when it rains, you get wet grass, right? And so we assume that the rain is what caused the wet grass, naturally. But what if, just what if, there's this invisible force right between the rain and right between the white grass, and that's actually what's causing the wet grass. Now this might sound stupid, <laughs> it might seem ridiculous, but we have to understand the limits of our sense perception and what we, we attribute to actual causes. And we're going to get into that uh, somewhat shortly. But what he was doing was responding to, the to some 17th and 18th century uh, who were uh, kind of coming up with invisible causes. Uh, particularly Descartes, who we looked at briefly. Uh, Spinoza and Leibniz, who kind of came from the school of uh, um, uh, rationalism. Um, but th that's why... Basically, he's really responding to that. Um, but we also want to remember, because we're going to be looking at this here in a little bit, but causal thinking is at the heart of science. It needs the law of causality for any science, for any knowledge. So what he came up with was what's called, or is what's called, a pool ball illustration. It's called a bunch of different things. But So this is my art, and I'm just letting you know I'm, I'm, I'm claiming it now so that if you try to take a picture of it and sell it, because it's awesome, and I understand that's possible. Uh, I'm claiming it as mine, so I will, I will reap the benefit. Anyway, so, uh, so you've got, here's a pool player. He's got his cue stick, stick. you've got the cue ball, and that, you've got the object ball. It can be an eight ball. It doesn't really matter. Uh, so we see when you're playing pool, you see the pool player take his cue stick and hits the cue ball. The cue ball hits the object ball. And hopefully the ball goes into the hole. And so we just assume that that all started with the, the player 
pulling back his, just let's pretend I'm the player. So you, you, we just assume that it's my pulling my arm back, me pushing the cue stick, it hitting the uh, cue ball, it hitting the object ball, and it going into the hole. But we don't see really the energy undergirding that. We don't really even see the motion. We see the cue stick in motion, but we don't actually see the imper you know, imperceivable motion or energy. Science talks a lot about energy, and we'll look at that some other time because they never are able to define it, to define what it is. They'll give, they'll give you a formula, you know, uh, E equals MC squared, uh, but we'll look at that some other time. So think about, so we don't see these invisible forces, but think about other things that we don't see, like viruses and bugs, you know. Uh, we came up with, you know, we have these instruments now, microscopes, telescopes, and microscopes, you can put these, what was invisible at one point, visible. You know, everything we put under a microscope, uh, under a microscope isn't visible to the naked eye. Okay? But when we get a virus or when we get a bug, we go to the doctor and hopefully he can diagnose what he can't see, you know, what is invisible and, except for uh, you know, other instruments. Uh, but oh, essentially, you, you still can't see it. So there are these limitations okay, uh, where you know, that's what we're kind of emphasizing here. Um, there's also a story. So again, we're talking about the basic reliability of sense perception as it applies to causality. There's a cute little uh, story of a farmer. And every morning, it's rooster crows, and the sun comes up. So what he was going to, and it's too early. It's earlier than he'd like, and he's tired of the sun coming up, and he, he just doesn't want to wake up that early. So what he decides to do is strangle his rooster. He thinks that if he kills his rooster, then the sun won't come, in, come up, because every time the rooster crows, the sun comes up. It's funny, it's silly, but again, it, it, it illustrates you know, our limitation as to uh, attributing the proper cause or even our sense perception. Um, so again, like I said yesterday, everybody figured, because again, so we can't see the underlying motion or in any of that, we, can, we can't, again, we, can, we don't always apply the proper cause to effects. And that's fine, the law of causality doesn't necessitate that we come up with a proper cause. Remember, it just says, Every effect, which is down here somewhere, uh, has, must have an antecedent cause, must have a cause that goes before it. That you don't have to be necessarily right in the cause. But again, many people assume, particularly uh, secularists, that, uh, that he destroyed causality. Real quickly, let me go here because, yeah, I'm going out of order now. But uh, so back to uh, the reliability of sense perception, the rooster, the law of causality. What this is, so that after this, Therefore, because of this kind of a thing, is what's known as an informal fallacy. And before, y'all thought you were going to get away with one of these sessions without some Latin or Greek. That's not going to happen. Uh, that's uh, post hoc ergo propter hoc. Uh, it's translated after this. Therefore, because of this, it's an informal fallacy. That's not always the case. Just because one thing follows another, it doesn't necessarily mean that the other thing caused it and so forth. Um, so again, uh, many people believe it destroyed. Um, causality uh, does not show, but this does not show, and Hume never says that nothing causes all of this just because we can't see it. He's not saying that nothing caused this. He's just saying we can't naturally attribute, you know, the thing that came before it is thereby the cause. Um, 
Uh, remember, again, there it is, every effect must have an antecedent cause. Remember when we first introduced um, apologetics and I was going through kind of these four laws of logic and epistemology um, and, I, and I illustrated through Augustine's bent oar. Do you remember that? You stick an oar in the water and it bends. Is it really bent? Or is it the law of refraction? Remember my thumb with Jude's head? Is it really the size of my thumb? No, you know, all that kind of thing. And recently, we came across the shoes, you know, and, and all of us seem, or some of us seem to see different colors. But one thing we can know for sure, so maybe our perception is limited as to the right color of the thing, but we can know for sure is that the shoes are there. We're seeing the shoes, just like Augustine with the bent ore. Might be wrong with what the ore is actually doing, but what I know for sure is that I'm perceiving the ore. So again, this shows the limits of sense perception, but think about all of causality, all of everything, every motion, every energy originates with the power of God. So if I wanted to take this and toss it to Jude, I can't do that apart from the power of God, which is also invisible. He is the ultimate cause for anything, for everything. So even that is, is, uh, is invisible. And let's remember, so again, many people like the thought that uh, Hume destroyed causality, but let's remember, the, to de because they think that it uh, demolishes theism, uh, the, the belief in God. Uh, but again, to demolish causality, not only d does would theism fall, but also science, and really, any knowledge. Uh, all our, sen our senses cannot give us a comprehensive view of reality. In other words, it, it can't tell us everything about reality, but they are the only links we have from our minds to the outside world. Another guy like John Gerstner, um, he, he, would, he was a professor at, at seminaries and universities, and a student came up to him, and he, and he asked him, Dr. Gerstner, you know, what's, what is mind? And uh, Gerstner says, no matter. And the student says, or responds, well, what is matter? And he says, never mind. What he's illustrating there with that cute little ditty is that basically the mind isn't physical. The brain is, okay? And it's one thing to notice the synapses in the brain, which we do now, when thinking occurs. It's a whole other thing to think thinking, therefore, is physical. Thinking is not physical. It, again, it might show with uh, synapses in the brain, but it, that doesn't suggest that thinking is physical. But... While, while thinking is not visible, our senses are the only avenue to physical reality. So if you're ever thinking, um, even though that that's immaterial, you can never think of nothing. And so you have to have some perception, some, some connection to the outside world to have anything to think about anyway. Okay, and that, that's, that's crucial. Again, these, our, our sense perceptions are limited, but we have to have them. We, have, it depend, we, we are utterly dependent on them to know anything at all, just like the law of contradiction, just like the law of causality, and we'll see uh, next week in the analogical use of language. So where this goes into uh, Christianity in particular, so 2 Peter, first 16, Peter's saying basically they're not following, we're not following cleverly devised myths or fables, but what, we've, what we're telling you, what we are proclaiming, is that which we have seen and heard. They were eyewitnesses, to, of Christ's majesty. So again, remember when we were going over the rebirth series, and I know this is somewhat foreign to you, but we were, we were, we were looking at Christ talking to Nicodemus, and he says, 
we, you know, we, uh, we speak what we know and testify to what we've seen. So the utter dependence, the absolute dependence on his absolute perception is necessary for us to know anything about what he speaks. Does that make sense? Because the link is also linked to what he has seen or what we've seen through him. Uh, but, but it's linked from his, from what he has seen. Okay. Does that basically break it down? Okay. Remember, we also looked at the principle of verification, which is basically any statement uh, cannot be true unless empirically verified. Remember that? And we easily broke that down because that statement can't be empirically verified. Um, so I want to just kind of throw that out there so we don't have to look at it next week. All right. So we're going to look at a couple of other, a few other verses um, that has to do with visibility in our senses. So the first one is Romans 1.20 which says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so, so that they are without excuse. Remember, I was telling you um, last week or the week before that the problem with people isn't that they don't know, you know, they don't have enough information to know God. It's ultimately that they hate him because they see all of this stuff, you know, which point to his eternal power. All right, let's go to the next one. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, Christ, uh, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are, on the earth, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers. All things were created through him and for him. So again, the necessity of the visible and the invisible. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he forsook Egypt, not uh, fearing the... He's talking about Moses. Uh, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Again, so we, our faith depends on sense perception. It depends on the law of causality, depends on the law of contradiction, all of those things. But it depends on sense perception. Okay, it's, it's absolutely crucial we recognize that. Um, because we'll see... Um, this can kind of work both ways, like this principle of verification, you know, we're basically, uh, you know, uh, anything, any, every, any statement has to be empirically verified. Now, what they're trying to get to is only things that we can sense. Only our senses can tell us anything about the outside world. That is what modern uh, um, theoretical thinkers, modern scientists really are trying to push. Whereas in times past, that was actually on the other side of the spectrum where people were utterly, you know, they, they, they wouldn't rely on their senses at all because of all of these illusions. Okay, so we have to understand both sides of the, uh, of the, of, um, the pole. Um, I want to conclude with, um, towards the end of Macbeth, Shakespeare's Macbeth, um, uh, the king, King Macbeth, is told that he, his queen um, just uh, um, had just died, and he and he's facing battle, so he wasn't around. And so it's, this is a well-known passage. Um, so it goes uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow uh, creeps in this petty pace uh, from day to day. Um, to the last syllable of recorded time, and all our yesterdays. Uh, are lighted fools, have lighted fools the way, okay, let me just read it. 
All right. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of rep recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Okay, quickly. So what he's talking about is the vanity of life. Uh, he and Queen Macbeth had kind of gone crazy towards the end. There was this big uh, scandal, and, you know, you can read Macbeth on your own. But, uh, uh, but he's talking about the vanity of life. And we actually have to understand there is a certain vanity of life. Read uh, Ecclesiastes, where he's saying everything, on, vanity, you know, vanity, 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 all is vain. All is vain. Everything under the sun. Man works and sweats and labors all his life, and then is no more. But then he points back to the, 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 the meaning of life really comes from God. You'll also, people in particular who, who, who dismiss theism will have libraries full of really teaching the meaninglessness of life. Which, if you think about it for a second, is the strangest thing in the, in the world. Here are these volumes of people talking about the meaninglessness of not life. Why should we find any meaning in those volumes? You know, they're trying to destroy meaning while trying to use meaning. It's, it's a contradiction in terms. It's a silly. Um, but, uh, but, so, but we do have to recognize there are, the, there, there are these things in the world that seem to have no meaning, but all of their meaning ultimately comes from God. Our sweat and our labor and our toil, even our brief moment upon the earth until we return to the dust, which is what King Macbeth is talking about, to, to dusty death, um, is, is all under the awesome power of God. Some of which we can see, some of which we can't, but ultimately his power is invisible. But his effects, the effects of his power are and can be conceived. Does that make sense? All right, so I really wanted to point that out really before we go into our next study, um, over, you know, our Bible study, but in particular, the principle of verification, what that looks like and how that breaks down the meaninglessness will lead into next week as well with the analogical use of language. And then after that, that's where we'll go into different theories. We'll first look into different religious theories, and then we'll go into different uh, theoretical theories, and then we'll look at really people and break those down, the, histor the history of theoretical thought, because it's very important. It, it, this is the only, I mean, again, remember I said in the, in the first class of apologetics, these are merely the rules we play the game of knowledge, of epistemology, how we know what we know, okay? The, so the only way to illustrate them is by these examples, and by these, again, these aren't a science in and of themselves, they teach you the way you can apply them for knowledge. Okay, these are the tools. Remember, logic is the organon of the sciences. Aristotle said uh, logic was organon of the sciences. Again, we don't worship at the altar of all, uh, uh, Aristotle. However, when he's right, he's right. Logic is merely the tool, the instrument by which we can attain anything at all, any, any knowledge whatsoever. Okay, any questions? We breeze through that a lot faster than I thought. Mm -hmm.